ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying Time is here. That's right, it's the Kill by Kill podcast, Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. Oh my god, there's so many words to describe this movie now. Greetings and salutations, Internet. Welcome back to the Kill by Kill podcast. My name is Patrick Hamilton. I'm a showbiz professional, and for no other reason that it's the only way I seem to make money these days. And this is the podcast that celebrates and discusses the least considered component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of every hack, slash, and decapitation, because a character's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And as always, we are coming to you from Camp Crystal Lake, or as close as we can possibly get to it. I'm from Long Beach, but my partner is way out there in the hinterlands of Brooklyn, New York. Hi, Gina Radcliffe. Hi, Patrick Hamilton. I'm so excited. We're finally at part four, the final chapter that isn't the final chapter. (laughs) They keep adding words to this, and by the time we get to Jason Takes Manhattan, I feel like it's going to be a paragraph to describe where we are at any given moment. (laughs) It never seems to end. Hey, guess what, kids? We have a very special guest. Now, I describe myself as a showbiz professional, but she really, really is. In fact, she works for a network where they have killed off more teens by supernatural means than just about any other place on Earth. It is Jen Titus. Hi, Jen. How you doing? Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for, for joining us here. I couldn't think of anyone else who had had more experience watching people perish by zombie or ghosty or or spoopy uh, sort of... vampire Yeah. You have a lot of experience at this. Uh, yeah. I've seen a lot of teens and adults and uh, day players... Um, <laughs> meet a terrible demise, uh, both in dailies and in hour-long genre dramas. So that's lucky me. My eyeballs have ingested it all. <laughs> well, we got a good one for you here because we're we're heading into what I think might be the best culmination. It's the it's what Friday Thirteenth is at its best. Uh, so. To that point, Jen, what's happened previously with you in Friday the 13th? What was your introduction to this vaunted franchise? Oh, that's a great, great question. Because I was thinking about, could I remember the first time that that I knew about Friday the 13th? And I realized I actually can't remember a time when I didn't know it. How, how is it in our collective unconscious? But I also can't remember the first time I saw any of it. So I've always known about it, but I also have no memory. Although I have, I remember all the slumber parties. I remember all the uh, deck parties and the basement parties where I was probably on, but I did not have a seminal experience sitting in the movie theater. It just, it's knitted into my being. This is the pop culture thing we've shared for our entire lifetime. As such, uh, we come into this uh, with paramount pictures wanting desperately to put an end to this franchise they love the money they make but it's not enough to keep it going they get chuck zito the guy who directed the prowler they're gonna bring in tom savini to do the special effects after the first special effects guy walked off the picture uh they're gonna bring their big guns and here we go we're heading into the cold open slash second cold open because our first cold open is the patented last time on friday the 13th 
where we get everything from part one, part two, and part three that happened before, because either they didn't trust the audience or they trusted that they weren't going to do their homework, that's for sure. So we get a whole bunch of montage as to what has happened previously. We start off (laughs) right where we ended with part three, and my first question to Gina Radcliffe, because you we just walked through part three, you and I. Do you remember that deer statue that they keep highlighting? Because I don't remember it at all. I don't. It's, I think that they neglected to take, you know, when they, they, they have like somebody on a production assistant who will take pictures of how someone's makeup is done or their set is done so they can get it right. The exact so they can get it exactly the same for the next shot. I think that they neglected to have someone whose job it was to do that. And they probably just, oh, well, this this deer statue let's just uh this this will add a little a little country flavor to the set let's add this i neglected to mention that in the title sequence we are graced by a, a, an explosion noise when the final <laughs> chapter arrives <laughs> and i recognize that explosion noise from airplane the movie they use it over and over again in airplane the movie well you know what i thought was interesting is that the um the guy the actor who is giving us this previously on, previously on, the saga cell, looks just like he could be the brother of the main guy from Airplane. I think the actor's name is Alan Hayes. The face, I was waiting, I was like, I did the actual research to see. I was like, this guy has to be the guy from Airplane's brother. I kept on waiting for him to throw the drink over his shoulder and say, I have a drinking problem. But uh, IMDB did not support me in this conspiracy theory. I'm very disappointed. That is disappointing. Just, and almost every massive, single way, just like Paul. Just massive amounts of sweat just pouring down his face while he tells the story. Exactly. Just so confident in his stupidity as he tells us that a person who drowned, but they never found the body. So how do you know that the fucking thing drowned? <laughs> and then there's people all over the place who will tell you that they've seen him, but they don't. But he's a backwoods ninja who can sneak around but he can also hunt down previous victims no matter where they are he has a a homing beacon to camp crystal lake because he keeps getting dragged (laughs) away and dragged back and so we find ourselves at the crime scene of part three and here we are witness to what could only be described as csi crystal lake yeah they're not exactly perturbed at the discovery of multiple extremely murdered bodies altogether in one spot yeah, they're just kind no. of blase. They're just kind of blase about it. They kind of they kind of pick on the the one paramedic who's you know mildly freaked out by it. It's like how how often do mass murders occur in a small town? It's like well, it's a living. Well, you in the know? last week, a shit ton because part two has taken place in the last week. And now you have all the bodies of part three. So you ostensibly have well over a dozen bodies that have shown up in your town very, very recently. And these people are over it. Well, I think the exact quote was 10 dead, some emergency with extreme, just this eye roll, this crazy side eye, like, oh, you dragged us out here for this. Like, as if Netflix had gone down and you had forgotten, you couldn't get to your Luke Cage. Like, that was the level of irritation this EMT had for his wasted time waiting for these dead bodies to be popped into ambulances and zipped away. It really was the biggest inconvenience this EMT had had was these 10 grisly murdered axe chopped bodies. Yeah, and they don't even bother taking J- 
Jason's mask off, and yet somehow they 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 <laughs> they know within an hour, two hours, his his identity. They know that he did it, but they're just like, eh, well, I guess it's the guy who did it. Throws a sheet over him. So oh, they bag the axe in this very uh, black box theater way. It's like these two Keystone cops who know that there's a fourth wall, and they hold up the axe like a huge treasure and drop it into an evidence bag. Just so that you're kind of shouting to the audience, like, here is, period, the, period, weapon, period. I'm like, thank thank you. Thank you for that. I was, I didn't know how these people got murdered, but now I do because you guys have bagged the one weapon in a very, uh, in a staged way. I thought it was very charming. It's staged in a crazy way. First of all, we get to see their, the very band uniform yellow striped pants that they're wearing. <laughs> Which are very crisp for a very muddy night. Two, they yank that axe out of a person's skull, which I don't think is procedure. Then <laughs> the person who has done this holds it up with his bare hands. <laughs> you don't hold a murder weapon with your bare hands and then bag the the business end in a bag, but it's also covered in hay, which means they picked it up off the ground. It was in the guy's head. It was wedged in his fucking head. I know that because they just showed me the sequence in the last time on Friday the 13th. Thank God that Jason died because if this went to trial, there would just be so much grounds for mistrial, for mishandling You'd be making a murder, right? Yeah, You'd exactly. have No, you don't need Johnny Cochran on your team. <laughs> With this group of Keystone Cops, that's for damn sure. Uh, when they're not running o- over or into the barn, which is chock full of evidence, they're just grabbing murder weapons with their bare hands. And to wit, when we're talking about this EMT duo, this brings up a brand new trope. One that we haven't experienced up until now, but we're going to experience over and over again from now on. And that is that EMTs are garbage people, according to the (laughs) Friday the 13th series. Because, spoiler alert for part five, the killer in that is a fucking EMT. But there seems to be this, oh, the only person who drives an ambulance is a gross person attitude being projected (laughs) at these EMT people. Why do they hate our first responders? I don't understand that. That's a good question. What do they have against our first responders? Why do they hate our country? Exactly. Well, you know, consider who they work with. Let's let us come to Coroner Axel. Oh, Axel. Oh God. <laughs> Axel. <laughs> so the first time the first time we see Axel, he's one of those blase kind of coroners you only see in movies. You know, he's eating that big old messy sandwich over the over the body and he he looks like he's wearing his pajamas under under his I lap described coat. it as a summer kimono. <laughs> it's very it's very flouncy and uh, he's, he's definitely wearing like an undershirt and 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 nothing else i mean i i totally expected to see him just wearing like flannel pajama bottoms you know that's that's the effort that he puts into bunny the, slippers yeah exactly you know he's got the uh you know you don't have to be crazy to work here but it helps coffee cup <laughs> yeah axel's got an interesting attitude when he isn't resting his sandwich on top of a dead body (laughs) which i don't think quincy would agree with he's also intimating that he's okay having sex with a dead body so long as it's cute 
Oh, yeah. He doesn't think that death is an obstacle to being turned on. It's it's all in the eye of the beholder, I think, is his point of view. You know, so oh, yeah, flu- I, mean, I think that's a fluid sexuality on the Kinsey scale. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's heavily implied that he's like seconds away from from jerking it with the dead body in the room. I mean, it's it's, you know, he's sitting there watching scantily clad Playboy Channel aerobics. Yeah, I don't know what channel that is. I don't know if that's a medically prescribed workout. But uh, yeah, this it is, is a guy clinical. Who, it's a very clean room that they're working <laughs> out in. He he's definitely at least considered possibly having sex with with the corpse if he ha- if he hasn't already. So my question to you, Gina, as a person who has wandered through the desert, that was part three with me. Which girl from that movie do you think he's talking about having sex with their dead body? <laughs> You know, I was I was wondering that myself. Probably, I mean, Vera had a spear in her eye, so that that's gonna that's gonna take a little bit away from her appearance. Was it Debbie who got the knife through the chest? It was Debbie, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably probably Debbie. Because I mean, Chili is not. I mean, Chili is a wonderful woman with many positive aspects, but hot enough to have sex with after she's dead. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, and that's nothing against her because once again, just don't have sex with dead bodies. Just don't. You don't have to. So yes, we are now with Axel and his insane aerobics video, which seems to require an all white psych and a lot of staring deeply into the camera. Which- yeah. So these are a lot of poor men's Kelly LeBrock. You know, I feel like the casting call was like, if you look like Kelly LeBrock and you can do aerobics, have we got an in movie video for you to do? And then like the, the B unit just had to shoot these women doing these, uh, this geometric aerobics so that they could run it in the TV while he's watching it. Like it's got to be in camera. So I thought that was like a nice attention to detail for that B unit to make that happen for him. <laughs> That aerobics series was a real thing. It wasn't oh. made specifically for Friday the 13th. It was called Aerobicize. It was produced and distributed by Paramount and their home video division. Oh, that's synergy. That's corporate synergy. So it's just soft core porn aerobics. And this <laughs> is their advertising campaign. This is, yeah, as you say, corporate synergy at work. It's an exercise program for, for people who have no intention of exercising, except perhaps one of their arms. Yeah, just one <laughs> arm, the left or the right. You're going to get some forearm squeeze. You're going to get repetitive motion. It's a proto shake weight, as it were. <laughs> he doesn't really need to, to watch these this video because he has inexplicably a uh, girlfriend lover yeah he has a work wife a naughty nurse yeah i mean you know an fwb as the kids (laughs) call it today um an nwb (laughs) nurse with benefits Um, (laughs) right she's way out of his league she gets no doesn't appear to get any enjoyment out of their sleeping together and also doesn't seem to gain anything from it do coroners have any pull in in whether or not nurses get promoted or not this is just either she's karmically paying for something that she did before (laughs) or she's caught in a shame spiral i mean i don't want to i don't want to shame her for her choices sometimes you sleep with people that it turns out you shouldn't sleep with i will say that to this point nurse robbie morgan is one of my favorite characters in all of the friday the 13th movie she is delightful she knows how to hit a punchline and I think most of her dialogue may have been punched up by Neil Simon. 
<laughs> well, I think she I think she probably sleeps with Axel because they work in one of those only in the movies hospitals where there's a period of time where nothing is happening. Mm-hmm. And and you have enough time to just go and you know hit up your uh, your your work friend for some loveless, not particularly satisfying sex, because you know you don't have you don't have rounds to run, you don't have patients to check on, you don't have to you know deal with the cops or anything like that. It's it's you know graveyard shift in a hospital is great. You have nothing to do, or so you would think in in you know in seeing these in the movies. So, but are not? they are they are they foreshadowing some of this um, dead fuck things that are happening later on in the movie? I mean, I think they are kind of very technically laying the groundwork for what we're going to expect. This morgue sex, which she clearly says, uh, are we going to go in the cold room and do it? The cold room. And uh, I thought that was an interesting... I mean, maybe they have a, this, a shared fetish, or they, yeah, that's what they, what they have in common. You may have cracked this nut, because there's no other physical reason to have <laughs> sex with Axel. When we watched it last night, my wife wondered out loud whether or not he is wearing a wig. Because his hair kind of sits on top of his head as opposed mm. to being inherently connected to it. You never see a point of attachment necessarily. It sort of lays there like a, a rug on top of your hardwood floor. He also says when she initially kind of does this foreplay, you know, rebuffs him and he asks her, is it because you have the curse? Which I thought was a very modern and... uh you know, feminist way to ask someone if they have their period. And that's the only reason they don't want to have sex. And also he works in a morgue, so I don't know why that would be an issue for him, you know, because blood blood is part of his every day and same for her. So there is something about that aerobicizing that really gets him going. That is his assistance, (laughs) as it were, which I don't think you would need because Nurse Robbie is a very attractive lady. And Granted, you're not heading off to the cold room because that would be another set. Paramount does <laughs> right. not want to pay for that. Right. So they're going to just do it right there on the couch next to a dead body while they're switching back and forth to the local news. This is a different news channel, apparently, than what they were watching in part three. And you know that because the graphics that are used for Crystal Lake Massacre <laughs> look like they were put together by a seventh grader. It was like an Etch-a-Sketch graphic. I mean, honestly, yeah, or Halloween Town. It just so, um, <laughs> he's th- it was just throwing to this, yeah. I mean, but we, we got the point. I mean, they, they, they knew we were, we were paying attention. <laughs> uh, he is a better newscaster than the uh, director of uh, part two and part three was. Yeah, he's more professional. He can get information more easily across. I just feel like his graphics team is letting him down. And uh, I don't know. That threw me off. But it doesn't last very long because Robbie and Axel begin to make out heavily. The zipper comes down on her very polyester uniform. (laughs) And they're about to get Biz A until Jason's undead hand happens to grace her very lovely thigh. Yeah, that's the second time that's happened in this movie that his hand just kind of these enormous hands that we that we uh, that we covered. I think uh, the first episode of part three just sort of mm-hmm. I guess just carried by their own weight just slide off the uh, the gurney and accidentally hit someone, which was interesting because I was under the impression that when a corpse is taken onto a gurney, they tend to strap all 
hanging body parts down for that particular reason but but who knows I mean, it seems to me that that the you know that that the business of cleaning up crime scenes and possibly accident scenes is a little bit you know, shoddy and, and indifferent in crystal lake well emt number two had to be reminded to strap the limbs down that's right so we can only assume that she was reticent and weak-willed because she is lady and we can only <laughs> trust men to strap down dead bodies as per the usual in the Friday the 13th universe. Women are useless unless they're running away or taking off their tops and men are super strong and super smart. And then we they we see them be weak and complete and total dipshits on a constant basis. Anyways, th- their lovemaking is interrupted and then we get their quick banter back and forth and she's headed up to here with Axel and Axel's like, eh, I'll wait you out. We'll get to this sooner or later. <laughs> Why don't I grab a cup of coffee and switch back to watching aerobics? And then as he's watching these women do squat thrusts, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what that maneuver they didn't, is. They didn't have CrossFit back then, so I don't think, I think, I don't yeah. know what that move is called. The bounce your ass close to someone else's ass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the sort of a rhythmic booty. <laughs> I, I don't know. Sexual, I, sexual rockets, I think we can call that. Sexual rockets. I like it. That might be our hashtag, sexual rockets. <laughs> uh, so while he's watching that, he turns to it and just it just seems the most world-weary we've seen him to this point. And he goes, <laughs> oh, no. Like, what, what, what did they do wrong? You're the goof, like, leering at them through a TV. This isn't their issue. And luckily, to rescue us from this torture <laughs> that is... Watching Axel in his daily routine, thank God Jason wakes up (laughs) and slices his head off with a bone saw and then for good measure, twists it around 180 degrees. (laughs) Yeah, they they really uh, started this off with a bang. I would say that that to me, this was the, the... the grossest death in the movie um and it's pretty surprising that they uh they they shot their wad in that regard within the first 10 minutes or so because you know that's even now i watched it i was like ooh, that's pretty brutal that that's you know i think that's letting you know what you're in for with this movie you know there's more characters a little more characters a little more sadistic in, in how they go we're setting the tone for the brutality level of the movie because it's going all out chuck zito very much likes to push that if anyone's ever seen the prowler and if you haven't it's boring but worth the watch it's <laughs> for the death scenes the characters are milk toast the plot makes no sense but the death scenes are beautiful <laughs> where and here there's a lot more going on and so you kind of get the best of both worlds here that twist at the end is both unnecessary and wonderful to watch yeah i mean which is because because nurse robbie's death it's pretty bloodless i mean it's obvious that he's gutting her but the, the camera i don't know if you can say discreetly cuts away before uh before it gets really it's really gory but you know in comparison to how axel goes it's it's uh pretty low-key it is more, less uh bloody that being said you could get away and most movies would just get away with stabbing her in the stomach and implying that he's pinning her to the wall or whatnot. This goes one step further. He inserts the knife and then pushes down in a let me help you with your seppuku maneuver. (laughs) And she's screaming her head off. And while it's the middle of the night, 
that hospital still has other people in it. She is literally screaming bloody murder, which is not the usual Friday the 13th sort of scenario. Usually people are killed quickly, mostly silently. They might scream, but they're the only ones left at that point. Whereas she's in the middle of a working hospital. But don't we think that he's really, uh, isn't this a zipper callback? Because she unzipped her zipper when she was going to get it on with, you know, Axel. And then when she denied him, she zipped up her zipper. And then in that scene, he basically undoes her zipper with a knife. So I was like, I think that's actually a very filmic touch. There you go. See, that's why you bring in professionals. They notice the real (laughs) stuff. The the thing the the truth that lies underneath. That's right. It's a it's a what they call a visual rhyme. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. And so ends Nurse Robbie Morgan and Axel. R.I.P.D. Uh, give it up, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, from that moment on, we meet absolutely everyone <laughs> that you're going to meet, and we'll go into detail as to all their personalities as we go, because we don't, we don't want to blow that wad. There's just a couple things that we probably need to discuss along the way, and you guys can bring up yours. I'll bring up mine. Uh, the first is that Pamela Voorhees is given a tombstone with a view of the road. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rest stop. A true rest stop. It's quite the, I mean, she gets to watch the cars go by for all eternity. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, surprisingly not, considering that she's, it was, she murdered a bunch of people, it's surprisingly free of being defaced or, or vandalized <laughs> in any way, despite its prominent place in the town cemetery. You yeah, think- like everyone sees that every day going in and out of town. You're telling me no one's thrown a beer or a rancid melon at that thing? <laughs> You know, or, or writes, you know, you know, Pamela Voorhees is burning in hell or anything like that. I mean, you know, even poor Carrie's grave got that much. But, you know, Pamela Voorhees is just, you know, spick and span, nothing. We're, we're good with this. You know, let her let her rest in peace. Yeah. Very, and we know it's been there for five years. So, like, at some point, you know, it has to have aged somewhat. No, that was a tended grave. Someone was tending that. Yeah, I was going to say, who paid for her headstone? <laughs> I don't know. How did... How did Jason get her corpse juice laden sweater out of uh, the police lockup? There's a lot of unanswered questions about this police force or sheriff's <laughs> office. Whatever the authority is in Crystal Lake, I find lacking at a deeply troubling level. So that's my first thing that I would bring up. And the second is I don't trust that computer that he's using to oh my god i love the computer sexuality <laughs> yeah the, 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 the computer don't lie I, I i gotta ask what is this existential shit doing in a friday the 13th movie <laughs> he's telling this this is ted our our prankster character though he's you know not so much a prankster just kind of you know an obnoxious barely out of his teens teenager yeah and and he is giving romantic advice to his buddy jimmy played by Unfortunately, not our hero, though he should be Crispin Glover. This, I mean, he's the star. He's not the hero, oh, but yeah. he's I mean, the star. He's definitely, yeah, once he's gone, the whole movie just goes right <laughs> to hell after that point. It's not even worth watching the rest of it. He, Jimmy is, his. He's. His, it's not exactly clear whether he has broken up with somebody or he is just, has not been able to get a girl interested in him. Uh, uh, the girl in question is BJ Betty. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe that to be her proper name. <laughs> 
BJ Elizabeth is her proper name, I think is what you're saying. <laughs> Barbara Jane Elizabeth, thank you very much. As as such, he's been extolled by Ted that he should have treated her right. And then he, he responds, I, I did treat her right. And then he goes through the litany of things that he did. He called her and she would answer. And then he called her and she would be busy. And then he called her and she wouldn't even answer the calls. I mean, what's up with that? And that <laughs> is the information that is then put into this computer, which does not exist. It is a cardboard box with a lot of mouth sound effects. <laughs> and the answer that we get through his hand because he doesn't understand he's acting in a movie <laughs> is that uh, that Crispin Glover's character is a quote unquote dead fuck. Now, <laughs> and, and learn that phrase because it is yeah, used yeah. very, very often. And of course you're going to go to a guy like Ted for, for ad- advice with, for, with women. He's totally cool. I mean, he's got the mirrored sunglasses. He's got the the cut off denim vest. I mean, oh he, yeah. He, he, how are you not going to look to this to this guy as an expert on what women want? Every part of his costume screams, "Don't have sexual contact with <laughs> this gentleman." <laughs> I was taken by the fragile masculinity of Crispin Glover in this scene. He just was so vulnerable about this heartbreak that he had had and then his friend gaslights him with this computer shenanigans and Chris McGlover has he doesn't say what any normal person would say which is that that's not really a computer or you're not making any sense or I don't is this advice I don't understand so he he just he take he, it wounds him he's truly wounded by this dead fuck and he just takes it for yep this is this is the judgment I must be terrible in bed I'm a dead fuck and um Proceeds to have this terrible spiral for the rest of the movie about these um, you know, these words from his friend. He supposed to be his point, friend. He, he does point out that the computer isn't real, and then to which Ted replies, "Then Betty isn't real." And it's like, mm. <laughs> and, oh, that's some stoner ass logic and, right and, there. And then and then that's the point where where Jimmy is like, "Well, I guess you're right. I'm a dead fuck." So yeah. That, that that sounds good to me. Now, yeah, I, I buy. He buys it all. He buys the whole story. Now, I I will say that at this point that um I did actually buy Ted and Jimmy as friends, but the the weird thing is is they don't seem like they belong with the rest of the gang at all. I I noticed that it, it takes at least a half an hour before anyone else in the group even acknowledges <laughs> their presence. And even then, it's just sort of them, them looking at them, or like they're 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 hiking through the woods. And Ted once again brings up that that Ted is that, that Jimmy is a dead fuck. Everybody just kind of turns back and looks at them, and then turns away from them again. And it's again, it's sort of like in part three where these people just sort of tagged along with each other for this this trip to the woods. Uh, for a second there, I thought what you were leading to is that they're already dead, and they're just ghosts attached to these other life. I, I totally buy that. <laughs> I mean, one problem is that Ted and Jimmy look like they graduated high school maybe a week ago, and everybody else is well into their 20s. I mean, Doug looks like he is probably a de- has a decade on them. Mm-hmm. And and it's like are these are these somebody's little brothers that, that, that just decided to go hey guys come on take us with you or or there's just there's no yeah you're right it's very much like they they barely 
their presence is barely recognized by anybody else. Well, I was mad. I, I love the station wagon, though. The station wagon with the open back where you could actually hang half your body out of the station wagon. Um, the third seat. I mean, that's such a summer experience. So those guys could be bonding back there and they probably couldn't hear what the adults were talking about in the front seat. <laughs> yeah, it, look, it, it's almost as if the rest of the group has lost a bet. And that's why they've been forced upon them and they're put into the kids' seats all the way in the back. Like, no one else wants to hear you guys rant and rave about which one of you is manly enough to have sex and which one isn't. Because it's up for great debate whether or not Ted has ever touched a woman <laughs> or man. I'm yeah. not convinced of his sexuality in any way, shape, or form. And I'm also not a particular fan of his hand motion that goes along with <laughs> dead fuck, which could be interpreted as a limp or flaccid penis, yeah. or that you're just gay, which is not cool. It's obvious that Crispin has feelings for women. He's expressed it as such. Whether or not he's a dead fuck is something he can get past. That, to me, is a gay joke. And he, then he looks at it like, huh? You see what I did there? <laughs> yeah, everyone saw what he did there. It's not that fucking funny. He's not been given the most likable of characters. And that's illustrated uh, by the next individual that we meet along this path, which is only known as Hitchhiker. Uh, <laughs> she is, in fact, a hitchhiker. And according to her sign, she is heading towards Canada and love. It says Canada? <laughs> Canada. I thought, it, I, I, thought I, could not, I couldn't read it. I just thought it said cyanide and love. And I was like, well, that can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a destination you need a car to take you to. Cyanide and love is available wherever the cyanide is. But it also says, her all sign also says, fuck you on the back, which I thought was yeah, on the back. great. She's prepared. The, hit, the hitchhiker, she sort of looks like, um, and I'm, I'm really dating myself here, but uh, a child actor named Mason Reese. Do you remember, do you remember Mason Reese, Patrick? Not by name. Can you give me a filmic reference? He was mostly, he mostly did um, TV commercials in the seventies. Mm -hmm. uh, he did um, uh, Hormel Deviled Ham. I mean, okay. this is I don't I don't really remember seeing these commercials, but I remember the name. And when you you look up, look up this actor later, and you'll see why I, I thought that uh, there was a resemblance. I think it's also worth mentioning that the hitchhiker gets no dialogue and is on screen for exactly one minute. I I, yeah. I I actually checked this. She it, it is she, she appears is almost immediately killed and and it all takes about one minute. It's not the grandest entrance or exit given <laughs> to anyone in this movie. Uh, she has a very awkward uh, headband. She is very quick with a middle finger. She has very dirty clothes. <laughs> She is like Robbie from part the very first film. She's traveling with every ounce of clothing that she has. Yeah, her backpack. Like her. Yeah, her pack was gigantic. It's just like a hobo roll. She's got. She's got everything she owns in there, including a banana, which is unfortunate because it's the <laughs> which last has a, banana. Which she's has ever its. Gonna which has its own pocket on her on her backpack. <laughs> a front banana pocket, as one gets at REI, a banana pocket. I believe that's how it's listed on Amazon with front <laughs> banana pocket. And she happens to, she's wearing, again, the costume design in Friday the 13th movies is maddening. She's wearing blue, blue jeans with a blue t-shirt and a 
light blue vest. No one would wear this in real life. No <laughs> one would should wear this in a movie where you've paid someone to dress other people. It's crazy. It is the worst costume in this entire movie, which is saying something because we just witnessed a coroner who is wearing the flounciest lab coat I've ever seen in my life. It's just like something that you would wear to push open French doors and smell the morning air before drinking coffee. Yeah, his morgue, his morgue kimono. His morgue kimono, very flattering. And then, uh, yeah, and this, but the stains, the stains we've seen on Axel and the Hitchhiker, I mean, they're all, all a little grubby. Unfortunately, I can see why she's not getting picked up left and right, but her problems with getting picked up are pretty much over. Because just <laughs> as soon as she hears the snap of a twig behind her, which is very unjason like because as we all know, at this point, he is a backwoods mutant ninja who is able to move quickly and silently, even though he weighs a good 280 pounds full of muscle and wears the biggest boots known to man. He manages to come up right behind her and stab her through the throat. And then the end result of that is her death spasm, which crushes a banana. Again, bringing the phallic very much into focus here in Friday the 13th, part four. Yeah, she chokes very uh, specifically, I would say, um, as the Viagra-less banana falls to the side. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that this is now the, the the least best way I want to be found with like a mouthful of half-chewed banana and like <laughs> this like limp squash banana in my hand just, just laying there in the middle of the woods. That's just not dignified. <laughs> oh, I don't think dignity has anything to do with this movie, but that does bring us right around to everyone's favorite game show. We're going to choose our own death venture here, Jen. Would you rather die via bone saw to the neck and having your entire head twisted off or stabbed in the stomach and then having your guts flayed out or stabbed through the back of your neck uh, while clutching a banana? Hmm. So I'm going to be a contrarian because I think when I when I originally thought about this question, I was going to say that I would like to be uh, stabbed in the zipper, but it's too neat. And she saw his face. So I'm going to choose the hitchhiker because the hitchhiker didn't know it was coming and had just gotten a meal. So <laughs> the blood sugar is going up mm-hmm. and it's going to take me by surprise. And I think th- that's my choice. I think uh, ignorance and a snack is is uh, how I'm going to opt out. Ignorance she, I mean, she got to en- a snack. She, <laughs> she got to enjoy the, the beauty of nature. And, and yeah, f- you know, her, her last, the last words she heard from a human being were, uh, were Ted yelling <laughs> out a car window, hey, baby, you got to rat, rat, because I can't understand what the hell he's saying. I, 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 put, on, I put on the uh, closed captions and it is, hey, baby, do you got a sister? Really, because I tried to listen to it several times, and he just—it's just garbled. And then he yells something that sounds like "rack rack," and it's like, and it's like, "Oh, I look forward to your death, Ted. I I look forward to it. extreme <laughs> pleasure." Um, but yeah. So, so we know yeah. you don't want to go out like the hitchhiker. So Gina Radcliffe, how are you planning to die of these three options? 
Well, you know, I mean, I think it's just been established now that that I am a coward. Um, I would like my my uh, eventual death to to be as quick as possible. Um, so my initial my initial uh, choice would be Axel's death because it's probably the quickest. Mm-hmm. But you know, then I would have to identify with Axel, and that just makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even want I don't even want to be associated with such a scummy character who you know probably masturbates among recently deceased people i just I, but you know on the other hand you know, nurse robbie's death is just it's too it's too drawn out and and the hitchhiker again i don't want i didn't i'm already pretty sure i'm probably going to be found dead with a mouthful of food anyway because it's just, you know she died like she lived so but yeah i'm gonna i, I guess i have to go with axel Okay, I I I I would uh, agree with that. I think I'd go with Axel too, because of its quickness. Yes, I will be found in a morgue, and everyone will. The very first thing they will say is, "You know, he had sex with corpses." <laughs> that's that's going to come right out because I <laughs> Axel has not been shy about telling anyone he meets that is totally an option for him. That being said. He goes out incredibly quickly. It is one and done, and he's just snapped out of existence. And yeah, I think that would be the way I would go, as opposed to stabbed through the spine and front of my neck. Or, yeah, poor Nurse Robbie. Okay, and so that brings us here to the very end of our wonderful time together for at least this particular week. Uh, Gina Radcliffe, where can people find you on the internet? I write about 70s and 80s television at tuneintonight.wordpress.com. And Jen Titus, is there anything that you would like to promote at this moment in time? Well, I don't have anything to promote, but you can follow my uh, television and music tweets at at J.E. Titus. Excellent. Please do that right now. And of course, if you would like to reach out to us here at the Kill by Kill pod, there's a couple ways you can do it. Uh, we have an email, Gmail, it's killbykillpod at gmail.com or at killbykillpod on Twitter. Please send us your compliments. Please send us your slight and respectful complaints. Please tell us your feelings on Friday the 13th, part four. This is going to be quite an adventure. This is a good one, people. You want to get on board. Let us know what you think. And with that being said, it's unfortunately time to say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Kill by Kill is produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.